This is Pastor Rick's Daily Hope, the audio broadcast ministry of Pastor Rick Warren. Today we continue in our series called Building a Better Future. In these lessons, Pastor Rick shares how we can build a foundation for a better future by following the examples of leaders in the Bible who followed God's calling to rebuild after a time of captivity. Now in just a few moments, we're going to tell you how you can get a copy of the brand new Daily Hope Prayer Journal, a great resource that will help you tap into God's power and presence as you discover the keys to praying with passion and purpose. Go to PastorRick.com to find out more or text the word DAILY to 800-600-5004. That's PastorRick.com or the word DAILY to 800-600-5004. Now, here's Pastor Rick Warren with part two of a message called, How to Earn the Respect of Others. When Nehemiah heard these people say, we're angry about these four things, Nehemiah goes, well, I understand it. It makes me angry too. I understand why you're angry. It upsets me also. Now, I know some of you thinking, what, Rick, isn't anger a sin? No, not always. Sometimes anger is an expression of love. If you hurt my wife or my children or my grandchildren and I didn't get angry, if I was apathetic, it means I didn't love. You know, in scripture, God distinguishes between what's called righteous anger and unrighteous anger, good anger, bad anger, uh, anger that, uh, that is a good force and anger that is a bad force. If anger is a sin, well, why does the Bible say God gets angry and God can't sin? In fact, Ephesians 4.26 says this, be angry and yet do not sin. There's a way to be angry and not sin. And there's a way to be angry and it's sinful. What's the difference? Sinful anger is when I retaliate against you, or I resent you, or I get bitter against you for hurting me. That's sinful anger. It's You've hurt my pride, or you've hurt my ego, or, or you've hurt me in some other way. And, and I resent it, and I retaliate, and I try to get revenge. That's sinful anger. Righteous anger is when I get upset over somebody else being hurt. When I see an injustice to somebody else, and I get angry over that, that's righteous anger. When I see injustice or prejudice or bias, when I see uh, sexism or racism, when I see uh, abuse to children or to wives or to uh, anybody, uh, and I get angry, that's a righteous anger because God hates sin. This is what Nehemiah did. He first empathized with the feelings of the people, and he got angry too. You know who's, what Nehemiah's response reminds me of? It reminds me of somebody else. His name was Jesus. Jesus got angry uh, in the temple, turned over the tables because they were, they were making a profit. They were turning uh, uh, the temple into a, into a marketplace. In Mark chapter three, verse five, it says, Jesus was angry. Look at this verse. Jesus was angry as he looked at the people for he was deeply disturbed by their indifference to human need. That's in the Living Bible. He was disturbed, deeply disturbed. He was angry by their indifference to human need. Are you indifferent to human need? When you see people, uh, uh, you know, like refugees, 
who are who are being mistreated and they don't have food or they don't have water when you d d does that disturb you you see Jesus was disturbed by the indifference to human need he's disturbed by our indifference to human need too by our apathy okay so it starts if you want to be respected be like Nehemiah be like Jesus and empathize with people's feelings. You don't have to always agree with their conclusions, but empathize, listen empathetically to their feelings and you'll be respected. The second way I can earn the respect of others is the second thing that Nehemiah did in this chapter. First, he identified with their feelings. Second, pause and think before I speak up. Pause and think before I speak up. If you do that, you will be respected. If you speak before you think, you're not going to be respected. This is a mark of wisdom. In Nehemiah verse 7, chapter 5, Nehemiah says, then after I thought it over. So what he's going to do next happens after he's thought it over. In the NIV, it says, I pondered the charges in my mind. I listened to the complaints and the charges that the people were saying about the, the wealthy people who were exploiting them. And he says, I pondered the charges in my mind. Uh, in the New Jerusalem Bible, it says, after some deliberation. All of these phrases means he was considering, he was meditating, he was thinking about. He didn't just go off half-cocked and start speaking about the injustices in society. No, he said, I thought about it. He, he thought before he spoke. He put his mind in gear before he put his mouth in gear. Proverbs 15, verse 28 says this, the godly think before speaking. The godly think before speaking. But wicked people quickly spout, quickly circle that, quickly spout evil words without, even, without ever thinking. You know what? That's happening a million times a day in social media right there. Quickly spouting without ever thinking. Now, at least once a month, we have to come back to this verse in James chapter 1 because it's so relevant to everything we do. James 1, 19 and 20 says this. Remember this. You must always be quick to listen, but slow to speak and slow to become angry because human anger cannot accomplish the righteousness of God. Now, we've talked about this so many times, but let's just review it again. We're to be quick to listen, empathetic listen. That's the first way we get respected. And then we're to be slow to speak. That's the second way we learn to be respected. We earn it. Quick to speak, quick, excuse me, quick to listen, slow to speak. If you do those two things, the third's automatic. You will be slow to become anger because human anger can't accomplish the righteousness of God. If you look out in the world and you see things that are wrong, things that are sinful, things that are unjust, things that are unfair, things that you want to go, that's not right. It's okay to get angry at those things, but you need to pause and think before you speak. If you want people to respect you, you got to watch your words. Nehemiah did that. He identified with the emotions that people were feeling, but then he thought about it before he spoke up about it. He didn't go off half cocked. Here's the third way to earn the respect of others. Try to resolve conflicts privately first. Oh my, this is the third thing that Nehemiah did right. 
And if we would just do this, you know what happens when you have a conflict with somebody? You don't go and talk to them about it. You go and talk to somebody else about them. You don't go directly to the person you're having a problem with. You go to somebody else and talk to everybody but that person. Nehemiah did the third thing right. He didn't start with a public protest when he saw all this injustice going on. He didn't start with a boycott. What he starts with first is he tries personal reasoning. He tries to personally build a bridge with the offenders who were exploiting the poor and taking advantage of the poor's misfortune during this, uh, during this, uh, during the famine to and they're using it to increase their own net worth. In verse seven, here's the third thing Nehemiah did. After thinking about the problem, that's the second step. Okay, before I talk about it, after thinking about it, considering it, I confronted the leaders and officials challenging their actions. I said, you're oppressing your own countrymen with interest, okay? Then, notice then, circle the word then, then, it means after I have done the personal approach, then I called a public assembly to deal with the problem. He didn't start with a public assembly. He didn't start with a public protest. He didn't start with uh, uh, pulling out his biggest guns. He goes to the people who are offending others and he tries to reason with them one-on-one. He, give, he treats them, even his enemies, he treats them with dignity, even though he's mad and ticked off and upset about the injustice they're doing in society. Now, you know, this is the way Jesus commanded that we handle conflict in churches. Did you know that? Matthew chapter 18, verse 15 to 17, Jesus said, if your brother sins against you, talking about a fellow Christian, go to him privately. Notice, privately. Go to him privately to point out his fault. He said, now, if he doesn't listen to you, then go back, you know, again, a second time, with one or two witnesses. And he says, that doesn't work. If he still refuses to listen, then you go public with the whole church. Going public is the last resort. You want to, if you want to be respected, do it God's way. When you have conflict with somebody, don't go gossip about it. Don't go talk to everybody else about it. Go to that person directly and deal with it one-on-one. See if you can deal with it before it has to become a public issue. All right? Now, the fourth way to earn the respect of others is the fourth thing that Nehemiah did in this chapter. And here it is. Appeal to the best in people appeal to the best in people. If you want to be respected, bring out the best in others, not the worst in others. Don't appeal to their worst instincts. Don't appeal to their fears. Don't appeal their prejudice. That's what politicians do. They appeal to fears and prejudices and the worst instincts. But you never lift people up to a higher level by putting them down. And you never change anyone by labeling them. Labeling just reinforces bad behavior. Say, well, you're this, or you're that, or you're this. Uh, No, no. Labeling never has changed anyone. If you tell a child, you know, you're a bad student, or whatever, any kind of, you're, 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 uh, you're always lazy, or whatever, you're just labeling them. Labeling never changes anybody. People say, well, I'm just telling it like it is. Well, you can do that, but there's a better way. Yes, there's a better way than just telling it like it is. Tell it like it could be. 
That's speaking in faith. Don't say, this is what you are. Say, this is what you could be. Paint a picture of what you could be for that child, for your wife, for your husband, for some employee at work who's giving you a hard time. Paint a picture. You know, I see in you the ability to be this kind of a person. This is what Nehemiah did in his appeal. He appealed to bring out the best in those who were actually exploiting the poor and being unjust and, and using everybody else's misfortune for their personal profit. Nehemiah 5, 8 to 13 says this. At the public meeting with the wealthy nobles and the officials, these are the guys who were exploiting everybody and buying people into slavery. I said, guys, he didn't use the word guys, but I'm sure he would have if he was in California. We've been buying back our Jewish relatives sold into slavery to Gentiles. Gentiles means anybody who's not a Jew, non-believers. We've been buying back our Jewish relatives sold into slavery to, to foreigners, but now you're re-enslaving them. Will we have to buy them back too? He says, the wealthy nobles had nothing to say in their defense when I said that. Then I pressed further, Nehemiah says, what you're doing is wrong. We must honor God by the way we live so that the Gentiles, that's unbelievers, can, cannot find fault with us. Now, he's saying here, do you pick this up? He's bringing out the best of I myself have loaned money to people, Nehemiah says. I've loaned money to people to buy food, but it's wrong to profit from that. In other words, by charging them interest. He says, you're not gonna charge people for interest. You're loaning them money for food so they can stay alive. I challenge you now to give back their fields and their vineyards. Give back the olive groves that you bought. Give back the homes that they sold you. You acquired them uh, during this famine. And give back any interest that you charge them. Now he's appealing to the, to the good side in them, appealing to the, to the best in them. And the nobles said, we will do this. We will do as you say, we will give back everything and not demand repayment. And they did as they promised. Whoa, how in the world did that happen? Because they respected Nehemiah. And why did they respect him? Because of those first four things that he did. This is Pastor Rick's Daily Hope. We are so happy you've chosen to study along with us today. Now, if you'd like to receive Rick's free daily devotional, go to PastorRick.com and sign up right now. You'll get hope and encouragement from Pastor Rick delivered to your inbox every day. Rick will be back to close out our time today. But first, if you want to make your time in prayer the best it can be, then you're going to want to get a copy of the brand new Daily Hope Prayer Journal. This year's theme, Connecting with Jesus, the Source of Living Water, will help you tap into God's power and presence as you discover the keys to praying with passion and purpose. Here's Rick to tell you more. Do you ever feel like your prayers get stuck in a rut? Would you like to know what God told me to do when my prayer life got stuck in a rut? It was a time when I, I just felt like I was praying the same thing over and over and over. In fact, I was beginning to wonder if God was even answering my prayers or even listening. Maybe you felt that way sometimes, or maybe you feel that way right now. So what did God tell me to do? Well, here's what he told me. It was such a powerful way to re-energize my prayer life, and it was so simple that I want to pass it on to you. 
God told me to do this. He said, Rick, start writing down what you're saying to me, and then I want you to write down what I say to you. Write down what you say to me, and then write down what I say to you. You see, it's really not that complicated. God just said I should start by writing down what I'm feeling, and then I should write down what he tells me after I've read his word. It's really just a form of journaling. And spiritual journaling is a spiritual habit that will help your prayers stay fresh and effective. If you've never tried it, I'm begging you, try this for a week or two and see if it doesn't reinvigorate your prayer life. Journaling has many, many benefits to your spiritual life. It'll help you stay consistent in your prayers. It'll give you a permanent reminder of how God answers your prayers because you've written them down. It shows how God is working in your life. You can go back and review it. It'll even help you worship God more and more as you speak to him. God speaks to people who care enough to write it down. So write down what God tells you, but you've got to have a place to do that. Now, I want to encourage you, and I want to help you take this simple step of learning this new spiritual habit uh, in your prayers, of writing down your prayers and writing down your prayer requests. So what I did is I had my Daily Hope team create a brand new spiritual prayer journal. It's got a real simple-to-follow format that'll help you put into practice God's wisdom that is found in Philippians 4, 6. That says this, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Those four things are part of the format of our prayer journal for this year. It's really cool. You're going to love this tool. This hardcover journal features a soft cover and 235 beautifully designed pages filled with inspiring Bible verses, photos, and artwork. It's a spiritual growth tool designed to help you enjoy a vibrant prayer life. When you give a gift today to help Daily Hope take the hope of Jesus to the whole world, we'll send you the brand new Daily Hope Prayer Journal to say thanks. Quantities are limited, so don't delay. Go to PastorRick.com right now to get your copy of this great resource. That's PastorRick.com or just text the word DAILY to 800-600-5004. That's the word DAILY to 800-600-5004. And thanks so very much for your support. Be sure to join us next time as we look into God's Word for our daily hope. This program is sponsored by Pastor Rick's Daily Hope and your generous financial support.